Welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Manchester United versus Arsenal, refs, Liverpool and City stay on pace, some more refs, Jose Mourinho <laughs> and Real Madrid, refereeing, Claudio Ranieri and Roma, Whitecaps, Champions League, VAR, refs and more refs. <laughs> it's getting to that time. What is going on? What is in the water? You know what? I was just uh, texting me Howard Webb about some of the things that are happening in MLS today. So was I actually. Is that right? Yeah, go. great yeah. guy and asking on uh, my opinion on some things and yeah. we were texting back and forward last night with that uh, yeah, you know, uh, Real Salt Lake game which yeah. we're going to get to but a lot of controversy this weekend wasn't there? Oh my goodness. All over. All over the place. Well, let's get into it. Uh, let's start with the big game in the Premier League. Arsenal to defeat Manchester United by two goals to nil. And of course, just like every other game we're probably going to talk about, a bit of a controversial moment in this match as well with a penalty for Arsenal uh, in the second half. In the end, though, I thought the uh, best team won. Yes. Uh, did you? Absolutely. Yeah. I thought they were the best team quite comfortably. And because Manchester United were dangerous on the counter-attack, especially... You know, it sort of made everyone's judgment a little clouded, in my opinion, because I thought Arsenal were the better team. They had the better shape, the better uh, enthusiasm and commitment to the game and the better quality. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I have to say, Unai Emery, I read some things about him over the last three weeks where people started using the word where they were using the word stale, stagnating. And I thought that was actually maybe a little bit harsh, but also if that was the case, you know, I think Arsenal fans would have been like, that's all right. You know what? Yeah. We're all right out the limelight at the moment, lads, because let everybody else talk about the the sexy upstarts and Spurs and let everybody else talk about all the other teams. No one was really talking about Arsenal. They were obviously knocked out in the FA Cup by the aforementioned Manchester United. The Europa League doesn't get a lot of pub in terms of English media yeah. anyway, so people don't really want to talk about that too much until the later stages. And I know that they lost 3-1 in France in the first leg. And here they come a little bit now. Now and, and all of a sudden they're in the top four. All of a sudden they've not got another game against the top six opposition. All of a sudden the pressure's on a little bit. But as we said last week, we were impressed with them against Tottenham. And again, here we go again. I think it's the, thir- the only the third time, sorry, three times this season now they've beaten a top six team at home. And that's the first time since 2008. And I, and I have to give Emery a tremendous amount of credit because he wanted the best players he could f- possibly get on that pitch at that time. Yeah. And he worked the tactics out around that and he had he had difference makers and game changers. Absolutely. I was very surprised to see the lineup that he went with, KJ, mm-hmm. with, you know, the three guys up top, Obama Yang, uh, Lacazette and, and uh, Meza Ozil. It was, it was bold. And at the start of the game, before a ball was kicked, I was thinking, well, this, you know, could really backfire on him the way Manchester United have been playing. But... Fortune favours the brave, doesn't it? And I, I think in this instance, especially at home, the, the crowd was sensational. Um, you know, they were just right in the game from the first minute. They could see that their team was given maximum effort. And so I, I think they were buoyed by that and by their performance and by that positive selection. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about positivity around Arsenal because, look, they've still got problems and, and they need to recruit better and they need to get their away form far more consistent. But the the, the home... Th- atmosphere you talk about is relevant we saw it against Tottenham particularly where it really lifted them at the beginning at the beginning of December where they won that game 4-2 and I thought they were very comfortably with the better team that day we've seen it now in a couple of big games where they've really you've really felt like they've been in the game and I thought that they were in the game again and that's one of the criticisms that the post that the, the the ending of the Wenger era had was that the, it was it wasn't it didn't feel like a big, no. big game when they had it and I think a lot of that time was maybe the fans just felt like they were going to lose these games yeah. now United 
United, you know, say what you want about them. They're a, they're a different team than they were at the beginning of the season. But it, it it's it, obviously you're going to get up for beating this team and to become the first team to beat Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But they were at it right away. And it, look, the atmosphere was great. It was, it was getting dark. It was raining. You know, it was it, 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 all the elements that you want to be have a proper atmosphere. But that just felt like it felt it, a little bit for me. It felt that they were back in the big time. And I know they're not going to win the league, but it felt like they were legitimizing themselves again as a top club that can go out there and win a big game. And I thought that was very important. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think under Arsene Wenger, there were, there were times, especially in the end, where Arsenal looked like a team who were not motivated, mm. not ready for the challenge, the physical challenge and the mental challenge of, of playing at the highest level. And under Emery, that's not been the case, has it? Very few occasions. Yes, there's deficiencies. You're right. They need, you know, better players in certain areas, especially the way he's playing. I'm sure being an Arsenal fan, your heart's in your mouth sometimes, yeah. watching the way that they defend, how vulnerable they are with the limited ability they have, in, especially in defensive areas. But it's exciting to watch and they're up for it and they're ready and, he, you know, he's got two gems up top. I want to speak about them a little bit. Obama Yang and, and Lacazette. Terrific. I think Lacazette's had a wonderful season. I'm glad you brought him up. He was on my rundown. I had to talk about him today. He's been brilliant, KJ. Yeah. And he was brilliant yet again. And they've been very unselfish. They, they look like they have a real personal relationship and they clearly have a relationship on the park. And so when they're asked to do a different role, they accept it. There's no sulking. There's there's no moods. They get on with it. Obama Yang's played wide on several occasions. He's still pitching in with, you know, a vast number of goals. And today, Lacazette played like that, you know, sort of double number 10 with Ozil. Smart tactical move. And right. he did his job absolutely brilliantly well. And uh, the partnership they have and, and you know, the double threat that they provide, they, they caused Manchester United absolute nightmares in the first half, didn't they? They did. You know, we haven't spoken about it since we just started the show. And I was thinking, driving here, thinking about like how I was going to phrase it. And I was going to say to you, I wanted to talk about a specific Arsenal player that I think has improved leaps and bounds. Yeah. And, I, and I was wondering who you might think that would be. Right. It's clearly obvious yeah. it's Lacazette. Yeah. He's starting 11 of the last 13 games now. Remember before that, he was in and out periphery, on, on the periphery, certainly in Wenger this last year as well. I never really got the confidence. And this is the player they spent you know 50 million on. There's no question about it. That's just who he is. He's better with Aubameyang. I think there's that, that there's a really difficult time when you're defending against them that you know they really gave the opposition centre-backs different things to think of tactically, the way you said with Ozil. We'll get to the big moments in a minute. I think the other one who I felt like has had a very big game again which is important is the goalkeeper yeah and, and I think we we, we we credit we credit him last week with some big saves in the North London derby and I thought today again particularly the save uh, on Lukaku when Lukaku tries to round him after he bullies the two defenders out the Fantastic way save. The, that was a brilliant save and look you know Leno is going to have some mistakes I think we always felt that he's got that in him but these back-to-back matches against formidable opponents where he's performed very well will will do a lot in terms of the benefit of the doubt when he does have those mistakes to come yeah, he'll, he'll make mistakes. These modern day goalkeepers make mistakes yeah. because they're they're part of the game. They're part of the eleven. They're no, they're no longer standing back there in their eighteen yard box or even their six yard box back in the day and scared to come out, scared to move. They're on the ball numerous times. They're as much an important playmaker in the back there as anybody else. Leno's one of the guys. We've always been respectful of that and mm. his ability to pass the ball um, and to make bold decisions. It was one when he came out in Lukaku. His position was terrific. Looked like uh, Lukaku was going to be in. There he was, mopped it up, played a lovely ball down the line. I don't know if you yeah. remember it. And they were almost on the attack. I think uh, whoever it was, the Arsenal player, didn't quite control it, but... Andy made saves and you're right in saying that because it's someone that we've been critical of his ability to make big saves at big times he did it today and I thought he was terrific and I feel like he's growing in an Arsenal goalkeeper shirt as well a number of players are just 
taking their game on to other levels under Emery. And I believe that once Unai Emery gets the right people in the right positions, that this will be a pretty formidable team because I love the way that they play as well. Maitland-Niles was terrific I on the right-hand side. Yeah. A guy you love, KJ. You've been on him right for the start. Yeah. We, we saw him play we did. years ago now, wasn't yeah. it? FA Cup, Southampton. Southampton, yeah. FA Cup, fan he of was him. brilliant. Can yeah. play midfield. He's a modern-day right-back. Can pretty much play anywhere. Um, I, I know he's not quite chose England yet or, or you might know better than me but I feel like he's still in between but there looks like there's going to be a battle on there for years if he keeps up this consistency with Trent Alexander-Arnold for the right back slot because they're both so comfortable in the ball uh, could go on and on Ramsey's leadership I don't know what you think but I thought it was terrific you mm. know he signed for another club yeah. it'd be easy for him to be thinking about going to Turin and, and joining Juventus but I think there's a real change in his confidence. I think this guy's took great belief in the fact that he's going to one of the biggest clubs in the world and he's still so professional that he's going out there in an Arsenal shirt and he's given his absolute best. I thought he was brilliant um, as well with, in the middle of the park, disciplined at the right times. Of course, we know he can get forward, but he was playing in a two today and he had to show, you know, some real experience. Well, they won times. that battle in midfield, didn't they? Absolutely. Clearly won that battle. Yeah. They won the tactical battle they as did. well. Yeah. I don't know what you think, but this. The, the layers that they had to their team you know so Lacazette and Ozil playing as the number 10s was genius mm -hmm. Manchester United again were defensive got everyone behind the ball and it caused massive problems because when they got everyone behind the ball I thought they were okay but then they got too deep and then when they asked uh, Lukaku and Rashford to press and then created gaps because Matic and Fred didn't know when to step, when to go in. Pogba was predominantly off the left in the first half. Mm. And so there was real problems because there was space between their lines. Arsenal managed to get, you know, four layers of space. They had the three at the back. They had the four in the midfield. They had the two of Lacazette they and Ozil in that other gap. And then they had, uh, obviously, Obama Yang up front. And the way that they transitioned between the lines was terrific. Manchester United had no answer. When they tried to step onto it, they were a bit too late. They played through them far too easily. And then the only other option they had a lot of times was just to get 11 behind the ball. Mm -hmm. So they completely dominated the possession as well. Emery won the tactical battle hands down. Yeah, no question. You mentioned Pogba off the left, also off the pace, for the yeah. at least for the first 30 minutes. For the first 45 minutes, I don't think the United were anywhere near at the races in the end. They, they probably had a decent and overall performance. They certainly created more chances than I felt that they did in midweek in Paris. But that's football. They've been Big game, the big moments, the big chances fell yeah. to Arsenal. Arsenal took them. Um, by the way, the pressure's on them now. This is no yeah. no messing around. You're in the top four. You can get into the Champions League. They haven't won. The only team they beat away from home since since um, the beginning of December is Huddersfield. So this is a concern. Their away form has been very very poor in the Premier League. But their remaining games are Wolves away, Newcastle at home, Everton away, Watford away, Palace at home, Leicester away, Brighton at home, and Burnley away. Very very winnable matches. There. Yeah. They're not going to win them all, but what an opportunity they've got. Uh, before we move on, let's talk about quickly the two big moments of the game, the goals. Um, bit of a discussion on the feed I was watching between the pundits about whether it was David De Gea's fault or not. Yeah. In the end, when a ball goes smashed in the middle of the goal, for, well, I mean, it's almost three or four yards from the from the corner. It, it, you got to look at the goalkeeper, no matter how good the ball was. It's absolutely David De Gea's fault. He'll be very disappointed with that. And, you know, I know he took that step to the left-hand side. There was some kind of swerve on the ball, but a top-class keeper has to save it. I think he took the step a bit early to the left too I'm not sure what he's trying to he almost read the ball he went wrong early to the left and then late to the right, to the right well yeah. never even went to the right no, in the end no. end did he so he, it was he knew so he strange a, a goalkeeper of his
his agility and, and, and reaction time, it was so weird that he just got caught rooted, mm. you know, once he took that left step and the ball just kind of went in, like you said, nowhere near inside the post. It was, you know, in the middle of the goal or uh, the, the side of the goal. And so it was awful goalkeeping from him. And you, you thought at the time, didn't you, that he was unsighted, but the camera angle showed that he could clearly see the ball come off Jacka's foot. Uh, big error from David De Gea. And, and first goal is always important. I always go on about this, don't I? But the first goal is, is crucial, especially in big games. Yeah. It just allows you to settle down. means the other team's chasing. The game plan was to be defensive and difficult to beat, like it has been under Solskjaer, mm-hmm. and then break really quickly. And once you lose the first goal, you have to change, you have to come out played into Arsenal's hands. And United haven't lost that first goal very often. Yeah. Uh, that's the other thing to talk about solid with Solskjaer. Uh, so um, the second piece of the big moment of the game was the penalty. Yeah. Uh, John Moss was the referee and he judged that Fred um, was guilty of fa- of the foul yeah. on Lacazette. Lots of layers to this as well. Initially, I thought absolutely no doubt, no penalty for me. Straight away, yeah. like, that's I thought ridiculous. Very, very harsh. Um, then I watched again. I couldn't see from the angle. I initially saw that I watched Fred's hand and actually his hand stretched out and put a full hand on the body of Lacazette yeah. and pushed out with it so that you could say that was a bit of a foot. And then I also watched the second replay where, and I know it's easy on replay, yeah. um, John Moss isn't doing this, but by the way, we're going to get into this in VAR. They would be doing this next year where it looked like the legs collided and he stopped him a little bit. I don't, yeah. So what did you think about it? Uh, I, I definitely saw the hand movement after the replays like you. I, I thought it was soft to begin with KG. And I still agree with that. Lacazette went down far too easily, but you run the risk of giving away penalties when the, the attacking player gets the opposite side of you. So, he, you know, he's bearing down and goal. You can't touch players. You can't get your legs tangled. Anything like that, it's going to be a penalty kick. While it's still 50-50 or you're in front of him or, you know, I, I feel like you can have a little bit of hand movement. Mm. Even even the legs can collide in, in some instances because it's hard to distinguish who sort of kicks who, you know. But in this one, when Lacazette got that other side, he was ahead of Fred. It has to back up. It has to stop. Modern day strikers are going to go down as soon as they feel the contact. And his hand clearly came out. So, um, you know, if I was a, a Manchester United fan, I'd, I'd be very disappointed, yeah. of course, or if it was my team. But I can understand why he gave it. It was just maybe a little bit soft. Yeah, I didn't think he played too bad for it, though. I didn't. I, I, I think he's actually shown a little bit yeah. over the last few weeks. He that, was up and down a little yeah, bit, wasn't he? He was, was either like really good or really bad, and he just needs to try and find more of a consistency. He certainly does. Um, let's move on to the big, the two big games at the top of the Premier League table, and we're going to get to Whitecaps shortly and other big moments with Shawnee in the headlines. And boy, oh boy, there's some big moments to talk about there. Um, Liverpool, Burnley. Liverpool went down a goal to Ashley Westwood's corner after about seven minutes, which I loved because it really showed a little bit about Liverpool. Yeah. Okay, let's go back. My question. Yeah, you know, we'd heard, the, we'd heard the Jurgen Klopp press conference from the day before where they were like, please go in your bed by 10 o'clock, don't drink anything, <laughs> arrive with your atmosphere. And, and we know that those early games, and you've said this on the TV, yeah. you played in them. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough to get the crowd going. Maybe it helped them because the crowd started certainly to get back into it. And we showed, I thought, they showed, we, we, we saw a little bit of side of Liverpool again that was important to get back and bounce back by half time during the lead. Yeah, I, I, I think that if that goal hadn't been in they maybe Burnley sit back Liverpool have 75% possession and the game just takes the, the path that we expected to take the crowd struggled to then get into it yeah. but you're right the the goal and the, the injustice of the goal it was a clear foul it's another one by the way ridiculous yeah, ridiculous one. decision yeah. oh, surely that would have came back if that it was VAR because that was yeah. a foul by the all, way there was all three day. or four of them in the Premier League this weekend that would have right. come back yeah you know? yeah, it was a foul on Alisson and, and it goes in the back of the net but you're right KJ it, 
uh, asked Liverpool a, a serious question and they answered I thought their energy was tremendous it was like the old Liverpool they're coming for every angle especially the full backs bombing forward as usual and just creating that relentless attack that, that's so difficult to play against Burnley just got deeper and deeper and deeper and there was a point where I looked at it they were almost defending six to ten yards out you know it was normally you, you know you go back and you go back as a centre half then you go 18 yard box this is our line we never go deeper than this they couldn't help it no. <laughs> they're defending in their box because it's just there's no time to even get out and you know the quality shone through and, and Liverpool fully deserved the three points they did uh, the last thing I want to say on this game tactically is um, you know we love to get into our tactics on these in this segment was the introduction of Adam Lallana from the stars yeah. now this is interesting because remember in the Merseyside derby the week before when they didn't play the attack an attacking min- midfield of the three they basically played you know Milner Vinaldum and um, uh, who am I missing here Milner and Henderson yeah. and then obviously remove you know one of those and, and Milner came back on uh, again at that point so you think okay well at some point are you going to play a Lalana from the start here or are you going to play a Shakiri from the start and of course I'm missing Fabinho who, by the way was tremendous yeah. so basically last week in the Merseyside derby it was Fabinho Henderson and Vinaldum. Vinaldum came off Milner came yeah. on and I thought quite rightly people criticised Klopp for being too conservative today he played Lalana from the start now I did some numbers in this first 20 games of the season he only the three defensive midfielders as I would call them were quite similar um, only played two of them in 12 of those games right. now he's played them seven of the last nine when they haven't been able to score and you know Shakiri for whatever work or whether he's not training as much he's not got quite the trust in him cater to yeah. but Lallana he did trust today and it, I thought he brought a bit different thrust and was massive on the second goal as well when he pressed and won the ball back yeah he, he was terrific he's always been a, a great presser of the ball and, and he, he you know he initiates that that uh, you know, reason for Liverpool to squeeze up the field and, and really pen someone in. And when you're playing against Burnley, you're going to get success from that. And I, I agree with you. They need that creativity. They've, I think Jurgen Klopp's picked the guys because of their character. He mm-hmm. wants to get them in the team. I understand that as the pressure builds. You really want guys you can truly rely on mentally yeah. uh, as well as, you know, ability. But mentally, it's, it's what you go for. And uh, it, it means that they missed that little bit of quality. Lalana was in today. I don't expect um, Lalana or Shakiri not to be in now when it comes to a home game for sure, KJ. I yeah. think they need that creativity. So there'll always be Lalana or Shakiri or, or somebody a bit more creative in the team to provide that that ability that he did today. It was, it was a great game. It was nice to see him back. It's been a long time for Lalana before we, we, we saw that guy who was you know, playing for England and, and and really playing some great football. His injuries and lack of training, lack of form has, has been a bit of an issue and uh, I felt sort of sorry for him. Especially. Almost two, four years, really. Yeah, you know? like, and it was a Champions League last year where he came on and he was way off the pace. And I, it, yeah. I worried then if he'd ever get back to top level football and I'm, I'm not suggesting he's back there after one good game against Burnley, but it was the signs of the old Lilana and I, I, I'm pleased for him. He's a guy I've played against in the past when mm. he was a lot younger when he was at Southampton and um, always a wonderful talent took his career to another level and then the injuries derailed him I hope he gets back there because he, you know, he's a player that I really like just the fourth start of the season for Lallana by the way Liverpool have equaled the club's best record after 30 matches of any top flight season 22 wins 7 draws 1 loss um, that was back in 1987-88 that year they won the title by 9 points they're not going to win Remarkable. the title by 9 points this year no. because of Manchester City um, Manchester City beat uh, Watford 3 goals to 1 the day before so a little bit of a, uh, of a message sent to Liverpool 
Liverpool saying, okay, now it's four points, you know, even though they, yeah. they had the game in hand. Liverpool kind of answered that early on Sunday morning, but City did send the message with Raheem Sterling helping them all the way. Um, in the end, they really, the only topic, unfortunately, of the game was the controversial moment of the first goal, which was quite frankly, utterly bizarre yeah. in, in, in every facet of the game. And again, we're talking about refs, which is unfortunate, um, but it's just one of those, you know, we, uh, as I find educated list viewers of the game, you played the game for years. I've covered the game for years. We're watching it. We're just, and I'm sure we're not watching it together, but we're doing what yeah. we're doing right now where we're just shaking our head in utter bemusement at the scenes. <laughs> and like, how can, I, I, what, what have other people got? Yeah. Like, well, they got no chance of understanding exactly. this, Stevie. It's ridiculous. It was a ridiculous decision. And I, I always try and get in the mind of a referee or another player or why they make decisions. And I just, don't get this one at all. It's, it's it's ridiculous. Clearly offside. He's moving towards the ball. You know, we argued and we, we tried to comprehend what happened with Harry Kane a week ago at, at Wembley against yeah. Arsenal. And, well, is he in the action? He going to the ball. And, I, you know, I... That's a bit more subjective, I think, the Kane Exactly, one. but yeah. I tried to understand the Kane one. You can, you know? I think, yeah. So the same with this one. I'm trying to get in the mind of the, mm. the assistant referee and the referee and, and, and see what they're thinking and... I just can't, KJ. I'm sorry. It's an awful decision. He's offside. He goes towards the ball. Yes, there's the bit of the, the deflection that comes off Sterling, but this has to be offside. We we have to be more clear mm. with this offside rule. Let me tell you, when you know, a guy who, who played for 18 years through a lot of the kind of transition of the offside rule, it became more and more difficult to defend, more and more complicated. Now it's another level, you know, you, you just try to squeeze up a line, you're, you're asking your defenders to be, you know, in a nice shape and, and, and make it difficult for forwards, make them work hard to get on side to then try and make their, their, their fantastic runs. And, and most forwards have better agility and pace and quality they than the defender. already have a clear advantage. Exactly. Yeah. And now yeah. we're giving them even more advantage. And yeah. I can see why Watford were really angry because up until that moment, mm. It was tough for City, wasn't it? They were defending really well. No space to play through. Everybody was behind the ball. But I'm not saying they wouldn't have found an answer, but it was a tough game. It was looking like it was going to be one moment might decide it. And unfortunately, it was an official that gave them that moment. Yeah, and I wanted to quickly, before we move on to the Whitecaps, ask you about that because this wasn't goal two or goal three. Yeah. It's goal one. And as a mental aspect of that as a player, what does that do to you? I'm sure you've been in games in the past where you just know this. And I think we're fair in saying this and we've been fair to referees. It's just flat out clear injustice. Yeah. Okay. You know, rules are placed in for a reason. We said this last week to, to make, try and put the level playing field on both sides. Mm-hmm. And this was in a complete injustice to the match. Okay. You know, we're not going to go as far as saying it was like cheap. Rito with him diving in the box. <laughs> We're not going to go that far. He completely flat out cheated. Yeah. But this was, in, in a way, if you're Watford, I'm sure that's, you're doing it, you're thinking, hang on a minute, we're playing like the billionaires here. Yeah. We're doing whatever we can. You know what I mean? And then you're just gifting them a goal. Yeah. You know, at that point, I'm sure, even though you're high level sportsman, motivated and trained, but you, you, you're going to get flat on, you know? It's the mentality of, of playing in that kind of performance where, you know, it's all about defending. It's all about concentration, staying with your runners, everyone being compact. You've worked in it all week. You know, you're playing against a team that are better in talent and quality than you. So, you know, that first goal's going to be vital. Yeah. You hope you get it and you've got even more to kind of hold on to and bunker in. But as soon as that first goal goes in, you get a bit deflated. You have to change the game plan. You have to come out a little bit. Um, and when that first goal comes because 
of an injustice, of a referee's decision, an, an official decision that's completely wrong. It's hard to shake it. You know, people will say, oh, they get paid millions of pounds to be professional and get on with it. But it is hard to shake it. They're emotional guys. That's why they're they're so good. You know, they they, they feel what's happening within the, the shape of the game and within the, um, the, the, the stadium and the atmosphere within the stadium. They could feel that anxiety. They were doing their job. They were so buoyed by that. And then it just sort of ended because of that moment. They lost concentration and their, you know, their error was losing the concentration for the second because then the game was completely beyond them. Completely was. Um, uh, eight games to go. Manchester City, 74 points. Liverpool, 73. Manchester City have a plus 58 goal difference. Liverpool, plus 51. So effectively almost a two-point lead with eight to go. Um, watch this space. We'll be covering it for the next eight weeks or so. Um, before we get on to Shawnee's headlines, Whitecaps lose in uh, Salt Lake City to more controversial decisions. Yeah. In fact, this might have been the worst one of all. Um, an absolutely deplorable decision from the start by Drew Fisher, the Canadian referee, has to be said. Got it completely wrong. Yeah. And then, okay, well, it's fine. You know, refs get things wrong all the time. It's a difficult <laughs> thing to referee. One of the most difficult sports to referee in the world. So we're going to place this thing called VAR in, right? And then when the ref gets it wrong, it's amazing because they go to the screen and they can say, ref, you got that wrong. And we're going to make sure the decision gets Oh, wait, um, it's a pen. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness for VR. Oh, VR's let us down as well. Yeah, come on. Awful decision, Awful wasn't decision it? by two officials, yeah. one on the pitch. Let's be honest, we're fair to these guys a lot. One on the pitch, completely bad decision. And then one in his VAR room looking at it. And it's, again, a very, very bad decision by him. White Cups in the end uh, were, were were robbed. Yeah, they were robbed. And they didn't play too, too bad at all, the White Caps. They were, there were some really promising signs from the performance. And Bone was terrific. He but was. Um, yeah, it's just, I really felt for Jake Nerwinski because he was having that tremendous half last week against Minnesota. He made a bad decision. He, he got caught, you know, and, and gave away a stonewall penalty. And then, uh, you know, on Saturday against uh, Real Salt Lake, it was it was more the referee and then the, the video-assisted referee let him down because that was not a penalty. I'm sure it's the kind of thing, if you give away a penalty, you go to bed that night, you start dreaming about giving more penalties. Yeah. Even when it's not actual penalties. <laughs> well, it's sort of like <laughs> that. His nightmare turned into reality. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing and feeling for the guy, but oh, you know what I mean? From, yeah. It's a poor, like, it's just to rub salt in the wound, by the way. You give one away last week and this yeah. went, you didn't even touch the guy. It was yeah. awful. It was, uh, he caught the ground. He was going down it. I think, Maybe I'm going to give Baird the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was going down because he caught the ground, but yeah. he was going down. I'm convinced it was a dive. I no, think he, might kick the he kicked the floor and then he was going down yeah. and then... Then there was contact. The, the controversy was, and we looked at this a lot of times, Look at I were doing the broadcast for TSN and we, we saw there may have been the contact and it was even hard to, to be sure if there was contact at that moment. But Baird's like inches for the ground at that moment nearly he's clearly on the move he's going down there was zero contact before that how can that be a penalty kick I think it was even Baird's foot that went into Norinsky's mm. to, to create the contact if there was any considerable contact anyway KJ I felt for the white caps it was a good performance especially uh, we talked about him bomb he was he was terrific and um, I liked the the combination between him and Reina I thought Reina showed some good moments he was even better. we were um, we were questioning why he's still playing out wide I think we want to get him centre but I liked that partnership and the two centre halves in, in two mm -hmm. games Daniel Henry and, and Eric Godoy have been tremendous mm -hmm. that is a, a very it? and it was difficult it was a difficult it was tough it's um, always tough to play there a, 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 a lot of interchanging going yep. on particularly within the front 
four yeah. in RSL, so it's difficult to marshal that. At least say, I think we know his qualities. He's not defensively minded no. in terms of, he's not a stopper. So it puts a lot more pressure on them too, doesn't it? Yeah, and the organisation that they had was, was tremendous. Two very good defenders, two guys that use the ball pretty well. I think Daniel had one pass where it was a bit risky and, and then he, he actually defended it really well. And, uh, you know, I was pleased to see, obviously, an ex-teammate of mine and I've got a, uh, uh, you know, a real soft spot yeah, for Daniel, but he was not? terrific. He was, uh, he was on it, and him and Godoy, Godoy looks like a real find by Mark Dos Santos. That's that looks like a two games. Let's not get carried away, but yeah. looks like a brilliant decision. Uh, quickly before we move to Shawnee, just to say we have been in a lot of conference calls with VAR uh, calls over the last few years, so I do want to put this to to bed before we do. Um, they are at over ninety five percent accuracy on big decisions in two thousand eighteen after reviewing. They were like, we got ninety five percent of them right. Even bigger, um, last season they reviewed all 1,249 goals in the regular season and only four in their mind in 2018 should have not counted. That, right. is, that is basically 99.7% success rate. Yeah. Um, only four last year. They're certainly hoping for four, less than four this year, but already through that week, week two, that was clearly one of them. Um, they, they only had four of those last year. So that just goes to show you that they are batting at a good record, Yeah. Uh, but this was not one of them. No, it was not one of them. And um, it's been a difficult weekend just because of that inconsistency when you go to the, the VR you just expect it to be right and when you know you've got two people getting it wrong it just increases the controversy doesn't yeah. it and we thought that VR was going to come in to, to end controversy and I have to say you know with some of them uh, I feel like we've been talking about it all week especially the, the handballs in the box and stuff yeah, and I saw I saw a handball in the um, in the KC and, and Philadelphia Union game on uh, Kansas City on uh, Sunday and it was a great decision I never saw it with my eye and uh, the hand was clearly up in an, an awkward area I think it was Sinovic and um, uh, the the penalty was given Chris Pencil went to the, the thing so it was it, it works but yeah, when it doesn't it work, it's really frustrating. And in fairness, when you talk about numbers like that, it's doing more good than bad, KJ. Yeah, it doesn't mean the process is wrong. It no. just means the people who are operating it need a bit more training, maybe. Um, Shawnee, over to you for many headlines. First headline, uh, not the greatest one, and hopefully we never have to talk about anything like this again. But uh, today in the uh, Birmingham Derby, Jack Relish was attacked by a uh, pitch invader. Um, first question is, is this a one-off or should we look at tightening up safety at Parks? And number two, uh, how fitting was it that he actually scored the winner at today's game? Uh, what are you talking about? You're talking with two guys who know this city pretty well. One was born in it, one played in the derby many times. So um, I think we're pretty interested to talk about this. First of all, it's not a one-off because it happened again in the United Arsenal game where a fan ran on the pitch after yeah. Arsenal scored and nudged Chris Smalling. And you know what? It's going to keep happening. We saw it on Friday night in the Scottish game yeah. as well. Um, it's just Rangers. utterly deplorable. I was watching this game live with my eight-year-old son and it happens and he's like, got all his questions. And I'm like, I have to say, and, and I don't know whether this is a nice thing to admit, I watched it and I wasn't shocked. Yeah, that's the first thought I had. I wasn't shocked, and now the overly the overreaction, the overreaction—that's the wrong word. The reaction over the world was of nothing but shock and yeah. condemnation. Yeah, and I understand why that was. It was heavily put on the news. It's been everywhere right now. But I wasn't shocked, and I don't mean that to take away the severity of it. It was appalling, absolutely despicable. You name the adjective, we've got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, awful to watch. Uh, but I don't know if it's because I know the derby. I don't know if it's I know a lot of people in that 
stand on both sides, blue, claret and blue. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't shocked. This is the same kind of derby that when Peter Enkelman messed up in the, in 2002, a guy ran on the field and didn't even touch him uh, and mimic and, and mim- mimicked him in front of his face and yeah. got put in prison for four months. Yeah. Um, so enjoy prison for this clown because that's where you're going, mate. Just your thoughts on it. Yeah, he should be going to prison. And I think the punishment has to be as severe as that so that these, these clowns, numpties I think that's what Gary Neville called them uh, that's the word it's disgusting you know and they're coming onto the field they're, they're touching these players I, I, I mean Grelly should have got caught and he fell to the ground Smalling never even reacted you know the the, the um, temperament of these guys just to take that and, and, and know mm. they shouldn't react and then not react it's just incredible yeah, because you'd nut them, wouldn't you? exactly you'd yeah. chase them and just get them to the ground and yeah. three or four of your mates would come on I know that some villa guys went in yeah. towards to help Grealish it was horrible it was you know to try to punch a player like that was was terrible it's a passionate derby St Andrews is one of the best stadiums I've ever played in my life KJ it's it's terrific when everybody when it's full like that and the atmosphere's rocking honestly it's one of the best places to be but if it spills over and it starts to be like that that's not good that's not good for the game that's not good for the a brilliant football club like Birmingham City it's not good for one of the best derbies in English football the Midlands derby between Villa and Birmingham City and the punishment has to be, be severe you talked about the, the jail time for the guy with Enkelman same here yeah. jail time severe jail for time him but what does that but, but, sorry to interrupt you but what yeah. about anything else though can we make it even more severe? There's got to be some kind of deterrent here yeah. that stops people from doing it. Well, we don't want the fences back, do we? No, do we? Heck no. And that's you know, gonna, and that's and, not going to happen. Well, but, you br- but you do bring it up to say that you and I have been in games where there was fences. Yeah. So this is now you. You are. We are in a privileged society to live in an area where we can go to games where you can almost touch these people. Yeah. You know. Uh, by the way, that this this complete and utter hooligan was clapped off cheered off yeah. by thousands of cretins in the stands. Yeah. Just, just, just utterly deplorable. And I know the hatred's there. Yeah. I know. You don't need to tell me. I lived it. Okay. My family, I know it. Okay. I'm on, I'm on one side of it. Yeah. I know the hatred. But that is just deplorable. My point being, I think that there's a severe punishment coming here. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's coming, but I think it's coming. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's games behind closed doors okay. or whatever. I'm serious right. because I think that... You cannot, the prison thing is isolated because he'll go to prison, but I don't think the next person who does it in two, three, four, five years will think about, oh, I can't do that because that guy went to prison. Right, yeah. The, the bigger thing is, am I going to cost my club something? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know where I'm going here? Yeah, because I know where you're you going. cannot be seen to, ha- we can't be seen to have these again because, God forbid, what if he had some weapon as well? I know. You know, like we all saw the disturbing scenes in other sports. Monica Sellers comes yeah. to mind. There's so many yeah. examples of that, Steve. Yeah, I'll never forget that one yeah. with Monica Sellers. There's so many examples. Yeah. I'm with you. We need, we need to come up with a, a, a severe enough punishment and, um, it's, it shouldn't just be on the individual and, and that's horrible to see and, you know, I don't think it's, it's certainly not isolated to the Birmingham fans. It, it, it sort of could have happened anywhere, you know, and it's, the passion is great, but when it spills over to that level and you've got thousands of people cheering and act like that, there's something wrong with a, with a society. Yes. And I, I mean, when I say society, I mean football society, maybe I mean even bigger society, to be honest, but 
I'm not going to talk about that. I'm talking about football society and the education maybe has to change a little bit what happens in these stadiums. And then, like you say, the punishment has to be severe for the clubs, for the sets of fans to stop this kind of thing happening because it's been happening a bit too much. We've seen coins getting thrown from the, the stands on a lot of occasions in Scottish football as well. People getting hit with coins and, um, you know, these guys are out there to entertain mm. masses and they do that and, and, and they're sort of standing there and they could be, they could be hit with an object, hit with, uh, you know, abuse or a punch at any given time. And I think we need to change the, the, the education, the, the society of football to say, okay, support your team, but just take it so far you're overstepping the mark on many occasions many groups of fans yeah it's a difficult one but there's a lot of big things to get into there um, yeah maybe we'll leave it there Shawnee <laughs> uh, moving on uh, Chelsea bailed was bailed out today by Eden Hazard in extra time uh, is Chelsea a team still in the hunt for Champions League football next season and your thoughts on the game I thought they were awful I really did yeah. I thought they were really poor um, tactically outsmarted by a better organised team and I use that word for a reason team um, again almost got to they've now got 10 points almost got to 12 points taking off big six opposition I'm talking about Wolves in the Premier League and they're not Liverpool out of the FA Cup what a tremendous team they've been this season Raul Jimenez um, I think he will be snapped up by the 30 million option to buy that they've got in the summer if they don't, do that, if they don't do that quickly then another Premier League Something team might will, say 50 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quickly yeah. Um, uh, in the end Hazard by far and away the, I don't think he had a good game but by far and away their best player we've said that many times it got him out of jail really because they thought that and Jorginho got booed off again so yeah. difficult poisonous times as typical of Chelsea is just as when you think they've come through the storm um, and the sunshine's about to come out starts raining again yeah I, I hated that moment where Jorginho was booed off he yeah. wasn't anywhere near the worst player in the park he was just like everybody else he was on the ball loads he was trying to make it happen in a, a poor team performance and so he's been picked out yet again the, the, the crowd have got it in from that's disgusting any group of fans we're, we're talking a lot about fans Terrible, tonight yeah. how they can boo off one of their own players and you know when he's clearly given his best uh, whatever you think of him playing in that position or his ability to to do it you know better than Canty or better than someone else is irrelevant you should never boo off your player a poor performance from Chelsea. You're right, KJ. They they were playing against a, an unbelievable defensive team in, in Wolves. The way that they had men between every gap, the work rate from the midfielders, then Donker, Moutinho, incredible, Neves, just at the base there. And then, and the forwards as well, Jota and Jimenez, they're defending to come back in to make it difficult to beat. We've saw that. So there's been three times this weekend I've saw a team that tried to play like Wolves. Uh, Watford tried mm. to do it at Etihad they got players behind the ball they did a good job of it until that controversial offside goal from Raheem Sterling um, and Manchester United and they didn't do a good job at it they were in between you can't be in between when you play like this you get people behind the ball yep. um, and I thought Watford did okay but I'm going to mention Manchester City since we're referencing Chelsea here they went really high and, and there was no way for Watford to get out their shape was just tremendous. It was coached to perfection. They know teams are going to play like that against them. And so they're right in in the forwards. There's nowhere to go. There's only a long ball. It's a chase. Ederson's right up. They win the ball back. The same thing starts again. Chelsea was a, a complete... Team. Yes. Team. Yeah. Team. Yeah. Coached to do that. How they, you know, positional play, pen people in. Much that we've seen from Pep teams in the past. Bayern Munich were terrific at it. Manchester City are the best team in England at it. They just get in great areas and, and they make it difficult for you to get out. And Chelsea 
did none of that KG you know they were wide open as soon as the ball came out the, the, the goal was an example of that from Jimenez where he gets the ball far too easy Luis is too deep Rudiger's too deep lovely little you know a couple of one-twos between Jota and Jimenez and it's in the back of the net and so it's one thing not having the ideas to break down that team it's another thing leaving yourself vulnerable and wide open when you're doing it and so big problems there a team that was um, that was really poor on, on the afternoon I still think they're in the hunt Yeah, they have to be they've they got are. a game in hand yeah, yeah. and if they win it they're up there but we said it on the show we said it on TSN we don't know what we're going to get no. it's the worst thing I've said this to you in the past mm. when I was a player I'd rather have a team of 5 out of 10s and know what I was going to get than some 8s or 9s I don't need to mention names or 3 or 4s yeah. and I'd wake up in the morning for some teams I played for and go oh, what team's going to turn up today Right. might be 5 star team might be a 1 star team yeah. and I played for other teams it was pretty basic and pretty simple not really a lot of talent and quality but I knew what I was going to get Chelsea are in that area aren't they you Definitely. know the, some of the performances that they've had been great but other ones have been absolutely awful big big issue for Sarri Moving over to Spain, uh, Sergio Ramos reportedly had it out with uh, Madrid uh, president Florentino Perez saying he wants him to buy him out. Is this really how it ends for Ramos and Madrid? Well, of course he wants. I mean, <laughs> it's hardly a great threat, is it? Buy me out. Give me 40 leave. million and I'll go to someone else for another it's 20 like million. Just rip up my contract and I'll walk <laughs> yeah, away from all the yeah. money. Buy me out and I'll leave. <laughs> big bad Sergio yeah. with his big threats. Uh, look, I. Uh, does it end this way? I'll be surprised. I think, by the way, they won 4-1. They had a bit of a shocker today yeah. in the first half. They ended up winning 4-1 away from home because um, it's been that kind of week for them, 4-1 away from home. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the, in the end, I think, unless some other club like Juventus or Inter Milan or somebody comes in and offers a ridiculous amount of money for him, then I think he's probably going to stay. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays. He's, he's been there that long. He, he's having a tough year. He really is. His, his defending's been pretty average at times. And so I can see Madrid maybe trying to move him on. And there's no loyalty in football at this point. It's, it's irrelevant. He's 10, 15 years of service and the trophies he's brought them. When they're done with them, they'll be shot them around. They'll be trying to get rid of them. KJ's bang on. Serie A, Inter Milan, AC Milan. These yeah. kind of guys are probably going to be in the hunt for uh, for Sergio Ramos, but I'm sure he wants bought out and then another nice, uh, <laughs> lovely contract, Shawnee. Speaking of loyalty, uh, earlier this week, oh. uh, German national team manager, uh, manager uh, Yoki Lowe uh, told veteran players Hummels, Boateng and Muller that they're no longer uh, needed for the German squad. Is this a smart move to turn the page for the German national team or do these players still have legs? Well, Shawnee, it makes you a top producer because we never talk about this really, but I'm glad you put this in because I am fascinated <laughs> by this story. I am because it's really unprecedented in, yep. in the international football game over the last 20 years. And these players are not 35, they're 29 and 30. Yeah. Um, but these players have not been good for him. Um, in the last two tournaments, yeah. they've not been great for their club over the last 18 to 24 months, but it's international football and what they're playing at right now, they may be playing at a very high level, the next international window or the window after that. Yeah. So I understand why he's, he's, he's made the decision to 
as a manager, and bear with me here psychologically, if you make a decision to look at that player and think, I'm not sure about you anymore, I would imagine, and what leaders always say is that that's it, time's gone. Yeah. Time's up. You can't look at that player and go, uh, maybe you'll be there for me, maybe you won't. Uh, particularly, uh, it's a lot easier to do that when you're losing. And yeah. they've come off of an unprecedented, they've been terrible under Yogi Love. This has been their worst run over him. Obviously relegated the Nations League, disastrous in the World Cup yeah. group. So his quotes were quite interesting how he said, now I want the young players to flourish. And I'm paraphrasing, but he almost made it as if that the presence of these three, even out of the squad, but available for selection, would have hindered the players in it. Yeah, And that again comes back to leadership. So look, Thomas Muller took to social media and did a two and a half minute video where he said the game's not over and he's clearly thinking, okay, good luck in the Euros, mate. You're going to get sacked. I'll be back in the World Cup. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. Yeah. And um, he should be. But he should be thinking as that. a player. But let's be honest, this is not just about character and they know about characters and they, they've obviously questioned some of the characters. They've not been playing very well for him and, and, and that's another reason here. It's unprecedented and, and bold or crazy for Yogi Love to to basically retire these three World Cup winners. I know. He's retiring players. Normally when you've played international football at any level for any number, number of years, you make that decision. Mm-hmm. And obviously the coach has a decision to make whether he selects you or not. But to retire three World Cup winners is bold, you know, and you've you've hit the nail on the head, KJ. We're not talking about 35 to 40-year-old guys. We're talking about guys that careers could come back. Playing for Bayern Munich. They're playing for Bayern Munich. Yeah. Muller's 30 years old, I think. Yeah. I might be wrong. Yeah. I think he's 30. And yeah, he's having a tough time. He's had a tough time in a German shirt. He's having a tough time in a Bayern Munich shirt. But who's to say that his career, he gets a move, he goes somewhere else, revitalises it. Hummels is the same for me, but I would have retired both like, after I'm that insane, game in the World yeah. Cup yeah. against Sweden He's where he was saying off. Oh, it was absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of get Boateng, but Hummels and Muller, very bold decision. Now, I love it in a sense because he's saying, done with the old, in with the new, we're going to be fresh. You're right, get rid of the, the, the massive aura and, and mm-hmm. shadow of these three guys. Just deal with the controversy for a week or two and that's it. It'll never come up. Every squad I pick, when I don't pick these three guys, it would come up and come up until I'd made it clear that they're never going to get selected again. But we'll see how this one ends because, to me, Muller might have the last laugh here because if, if Yogi Love and his, his forum with the German national team continues, he'll be sacked pretty soon and Muller might be back. Final point on this is that it is bold, but it's also gutsy as well. And I love it because in, in, in one aspect, because if they struggle in the in the European qualifiers, he's going to get sacked and he knows that now. And if they struggle prior to that with these guys still in it, he would have gone, these guys need to go. I'm going to get rid of them. And yeah. he's not hiding behind him anymore. No. It's his last saloon and he knows that. And by the way, they could struggle. So, you know, I know they've got a pretty comfortable group, but at least he's now placing himself right there at the forefront and going, yeah. This is it. For this, it's about me now. I'm going to show to you. I can. I can build this team back up, and I'm not. And I don't need these players or the bad form to be the excuse why we didn't get there. Uh, the round of sixteen finishes up midweek. Uh, which four teams advance to the quarterfinals? Um. Wow. Uh, Man City. Yep. City. Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid. Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. And Barcelona. And Barcelona. We agree We're the same. Again. We agree too much as to... pathetic, aren't Yeah, we? I mean, let's face it, City, it would be a monumental shock if they don't get their KG. Yeah. 
Madrid are in a very strong position. Not so much of a shock if Juve turn that, but mm. we think that Madrid are. I, I think Madrid are a very strong side. Bayern Liverpool's a one. It's it's, it is, it's yeah. really open. Can Liverpool get some goals? Can they show that attacking ability against a Burnley like you know <laughs> during the week in in, uh, in Munich? It will be tougher, but that's the one. And you would be you'd be absolutely shocked if Barcelona don't get through Leon. Moving back to Madrid, uh, Santiago Solari is rumoured to be getting sacked by the end of the week. And shocker, Jose Mourinho is uh, looking to be the caretaker until the end of the season. Um, who takes over in the offseason? And is there a chance Mourinho finds himself there long term? Yeah, there is a chance he finds himself there long term. There's not that many places Mourinho is going to go. Um, so, look, I think I think it would be ridiculous to, to go back for, for Real Madrid to go back to him. Yeah. Um, but is it a good move for Mourinho? 100%. I don't think it's a good move for Real Madrid. No. But Mourinho going back there, I, I don't think he'd ever turn him down. Do you? He can't turn him down. No. I don't know if he takes it on a, a caretaker basis, though. I just... That would be risky, but maybe it's such a big club. He has to, KJ, take, you know, a few games if that happens. He seems to me like, you know, you'd stay away from that, but. Yeah, he's not the caretaker guy. He's he's not, is he? You know, <laughs> normally the caretaker's nah. the guy that just kind of, yeah. you know, motivates and gets guys going. He's not like that, is he? No, not really. Especially a club he's been at before. Yeah, nah, he's not going to get that. He's not going to take a caretaker job. Come on. A short term deal is the most likely at the end of the season, don't you think? Or even now till, you know, for a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. I just don't see that. Like the but- caretaker job comes in and he, he's either like loved because he's going to be there like five minutes, <laughs> like, you know, or, or he's going to be, or they just, just never even listen to him. Like, you know, my kid's class this week, he, his teacher was out two days and then they got, they all got in trouble because they just completely didn't listen <laughs> to the supply teacher and they had to write letters home. Not, I mean, that's another thing, but you know what I mean? That's what happens. Yeah. But Mourinho's not going to be a caretaker manager. Come on. Like no. if they tell him he's caretaker, the players are not going to care. I, listen, I love, I love Jose Mourinho. I really do. I've loved him. For forever. Yeah. And he had a disastrous time at Manchester. Don't rule him out. But I keep thinking, KJ, when is he going to learn? Like, when is he going to take an experience from before yeah. and evolve and change a little bit? Or right. is he just always going to be the Josie that we know? And I know your views on this, but <laughs> I want you to say them again. Everything has to be about him. But at some point, is he going to evolve a little bit? Because he's a, he's a bit of a genius. He's a guy that gets things done. He is a genius. And he knows what he's doing. And so if he just curbs his personality a little bit and accepts that in this modern era, mm. you have to be a wee bit softer and you have to cajole and say the right things yeah. to these guys. If he does that, he can be a world-class manager again. Mm. If he doesn't, he's only going to last so long at any place. No, I agree with all that. The one thing I'd say is I don't think he will change. Um, yeah. and, I do, and I would like him to get a job where they're not on the floor. Yeah. I know most times when jobs come up, the team's in turmoil, but maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to throw one out here. What about Tottenham? Yeah. What about Tottenham? What That'd about if Pochettino goes to Real Madrid? And, it, and what if Tottenham come calling? Jose Mourinho in the new stadium. He loves the Premier League. Like The thing that goes against him, though, what is about, his style, no? No, but like that, then you can say, okay, well, let's, can he take this team over the top? Right. How can he say no well, to that? Well, he is a winner, isn't Great he? players, yep. not necessarily performing. We're not talking about this on this show because we talk about them every week and then another <laughs> disastrous weekend yeah. in Southampton. But, you know, I'd like to basically see what his next step is. And all the points you make about Jose are great. To go into a club that is actually given to him that it's not a mess. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's possible. That's just not the way the, the, the sport works. But, um, Sean, Jose Mourinho, you'd, have, you'd be happy with him at your club? 
I come on, you I, know you want him. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know what the other options are. That's yeah. what I would say. Look, if you lose Pochettino, the whole place is going to fall apart. If completely, you, if you don't get like a decent manager, it could just yeah. be the end. Absolutely. So uh, there's a chance that that might keep you solid for a few years. Yeah, it's that or like David Moyes. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Nuno Santo could get Nuno Santo. Yeah, he's the one. Yeah. Uh, speaking of failing up, uh, Claudio Ranieri, <laughs> after being ripped apart last week for his time at Fulham, has taken a caretaker role at Roma. Um, after they fired their manager Eusebio de Francesco after, uh, after bowing up for the Champions League, how many goddamn lies does Claudio? This, guy, this is re- sorry, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, lies. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is. Just, I said to you yesterday, it's a little bit like being pushed off a cliff and landing in a hammock. <laughs> like what? What? He just got sacked at Fulham, and you get the Roma. I know this. By the way, he is a caretaker. Yeah, it is all yeah, the caretaker. Yeah. He is. He is the caretaker, isn't he? Like, you yeah. got, Perfect caretaker. Go on, lads. Have a bit of a laugh for a few weeks. You've underperformed. <laughs> The team's got knocked out in the Champions League because they're just so infuriating to watch. I don't even yeah. care about Roma, but I watch them and I just get angry. You know what I mean? I just feel like one week they look amazing and then for four weeks in a row, they just bang average, aren't yeah. they? And they just every time the manager goes there, the same thing happens. I think Ranieri is an example of if you're a good guy and you, you live life properly, yeah, good things happen to you, yes, you know? So yes. you, you never see anything that happens with Ranieri and go, oh, you know, you're you're never angry about it because no, he seems not, like a great he's guy. He's not the but, Italian Alan Pardew, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him, but I, I can't believe this decision. I mean, he's old, older. He's struggled at the last two clubs he's been at. He's had a his miracle moment at Leicester mm. and now he's getting a club of the size of Roma and the state that they're in needing, you know, redeveloped and, 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 and redone and they've given it to, you're right, it is caretaker. We don't expect it to be past the summer, but even in that short-term basis, it's a surprise case. Well, there's a lot of ancient ruins in Rome, so <laughs> they've, just added, they've just added another one. Uh, a couple hometown sort of notes before we move on. Uh, Arcadia Marcuse reports that Remy Gard may be in line for Lyon next season. If this was to happen, how much of a setback would it be for the impact? I think it would be a big, a big, big setback. Uh, now I say this and clarify, clarifying that I haven't watched in full their game against Houston because, well, I couldn't. Um, I just can't watch <laughs> it. it. I wasn't able to watch it yet, but I will be watching it when the uh, the app that has it will allow me to watch it after 48 hours. I'll watch it in full as I did the week prior where I thought they were absolutely brilliant, albeit against a very abject San Jose team. Diallo is a player, by the way, their centre-back. Big fan of him. You and I were messaging yeah. each other back all week about him. Um, and I think Remy God is just starting to bring his real identity to the club. And um, look, if they, if he decides to move on and go to Leon, that will be a massive loss for me. Yeah, I did watch the first half, KJ. I was in the studio before uh, before the Whitecaps and Real Salt Lake game, and they were they were pretty good in the first half. I was I was a bit surprised uh, that they lost the game. So I don't know what happened in the second half. We'll get there. Late goal but, as well. But he's, I've seen the goals. But, yeah, yeah, he's got some. Yeah, the, the, the reply goal, the, the equaliser Screamer. from um, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. That was a, it. Was was a, was a fantastic strike right into the top corner and it was a great goal from Tyder a player that's really blossomed them the Remy Gard as most people have Jallo was brilliant in yeah. the back line there passing the ball and, and so he's got something really good going and it would be an enormous loss to the Montreal impact this moment because I expect progression all the years that Remy Gard's there and um, they're onto something really good this year they're in my opinion one of the best teams in the early stages of the season that I've seen in the East I agree um, and I think 
my opinion is that the West is going to be stronger this year than the East. The West has some really good teams. The East might be a little bit weaker, in my opinion, uh, with some of the transition with some teams. And so it gives a team the continuity of uh, Remy Gard and the Montreal Impact to really blossom and get in a strong position. So hopefully, for the sake of MLS and the sake of Canadian soccer, he doesn't go to Leon. Forge FC announced Soccer Unites Hamilton, which allows fans to sign up for a lottery to win tickets free of charge. This is an initiative that will give back to the community. They're hoping to attract more than 23,000 fans on the day. Thoughts on the idea and how spectacular is it that we're going to have 50,000 plus fans watching soccer live in Ontario on April 27th? Asterisk on 50,000. Yeah, with, yeah. The, with the TFC game, right? Because they play Portland Correct. the same day. Yeah. yeah. So two games in the same area. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have absolutely no problem with this. You know, I, know I love it. I've seen people criticize it. I think it's a good idea by by Hamilton slash obviously Canadian Premier League involved in the yeah. decision. Um, I understand that the, the business side of things of this, I understand when you run a business, there is a value to the ticket that you're trying to provide. I understand that you've sold tickets to people and you've now given them another option to get the free game in the Canadian Championship yeah. as, as a way of getting the money back. It's clear they're not. Look, if if we were talking here about this in June and they were doing this for game eight and they've already done it for game five and game three and game one, I'd yeah. be like, this is a concern, mate. Yeah, big time. It's the first game. You want the atmosphere to be spectacular. You want to attract people to come there. You don't want the 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 ability to buy a ten or fifteen dollar ticket for it to be a deterrent. It's yeah. ten or fifteen dollar tickets that you're going to buy. You're going to make it's worthless compared to the amount of value that you can get by getting people in there to learn the game, learn the sport, learn the league, and and get behind the region. I think it's a complete win win all the whole way. You've hit the nail on the head, KJ. This is the inaugural game of the Canadian Premier League, and it's a celebration of soccer, a national league in the country of Canada. That's what this is about. It's not about money and not about revenue from the gate. This is about packing out a big stadium and making it look fantastic. Yep. Getting everybody in there, getting young fans, getting everyone in, into uh, Tim Horton's field and seeing a spectacle. Hopefully, a, you know, a, a great um, a great game between two two good sides, you know. And so I've got no problem with this. How? What is the negativity towards this? You're right. If it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, if it's overpriced or even if it's, Two bucks for a ticket. What's it matter? This is about getting people in to watch this game. And so I think it's smart. I think that there's clearly going to be some fans that maybe have an option between BMO Field and Tim Hortons Field. And they might yeah, think, point. Mm, where should I go? Well, I'm probably going to the free game now, or I'm probably going to the game that's potentially closer to me. There's a number of things that come in here. Smart marketing move by the Canadian Premier League and good on Forge FC for doing it. And by the way, you mentioned it. It's for the Canadian legacy of the league. Yep. This league's not going away. These pictures, broadcast pictures, pictures in books, pictures. These are going to be, this game is going to be talked about long after we've all gone, guys. Yeah. Forever. Okay. So, you know, when people look back at it, they'll look at that crowd. Exactly. No one in years to come are going to go, oh, you know what? Those guys didn't pay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're going to look at the optics. They're going to look at, look at what, how it looks. Yeah. That's the most important thing. You're painting a picture. You're almost bringing in, um, you know, the backdrop of actors behind the main characters to say, there you go, guys, we need this to look spectacular. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's nothing more than a, than a, than a real smart, intelligent move. Yeah. It's a celebration of, of, 
years of hard work by many different people as well. And that's why it's important to me that it, it looks right. Uh, you know, it's about getting people in the stadium to sample this, to be a part of it. Yeah. This is also about community. And the best way to bring community together is by saying, come in here and see what we're building, see what we're starting. Do you want to be a part of this? I'll guarantee out of that 23,000, there's a few, a good few that go and buy season seats at the back of this game because yeah. their little sons pulling their dad's arms saying, dad, dad, I want again. to come back here next week. Great. Moving on to the mailbag. So let's move on to Ask AFP. First and foremost, thanks for all your questions. Number one, uh, Stevie, we got a lot of avatars with Manchester United jerseys. No. Just, just, rip, just ripping on you okay. on a big, there's no question. It was just more just big ROM comments. And yeah, well, can I can I address that please, Sean, before can. we get to the question? Maybe we should send the big the big ROM Ask AFP <laughs> questions to Scott Caldwell of New England Revolution <laughs> after the shout out this week on the Guardian Football Podcast. The guys thought I was still playing, they yeah. Did, yeah and I've obviously not seen my profile lately eh? and yeah, the well, fact I'm carrying about 20 pounds. Well, I'm just, since I played I'm just glad that you are because you wouldn't be here talking football with me <laughs> well uh, talking about weight <laughs> it gets us the big rom and he's clearly shed some pounds because in well, fairness shot off to show you didn't he exactly and he was shredded shred, more shredded than I'd ever been in my life it has to be said but he was he was. we never got to him earlier we were talking about Arsenal Manchester United he was really sharp today really sharp he missed three sitters it has to be said but Really Sorry sharp. for getting the digging. He was, he was sharp. On, he, he looked good today, mate. Sixes. He looked good today. He's in better shape. The time off to clearly go and get, you know, lose some pounds and, and, and get his head right and get his physical side right has worked. So, you know. He's, he's the reason why they need a new striker. I'm sorry. <laughs> and today was a prime example of it. You're going to get the man new avatars now. Bring it. <laughs> I'm trying to, this is what you do. Friends protect friends. Stand in the way and they, they unite together. We're in this together now. Look, he missed the golden opportunity when they're nil-nil to win the game. And again, his record against top six teams is woeful. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. So look, United will be shopping for a better striker, but you're right. Um, it has been kind of fun to hear all the banter going back and forth as Big Rom smashes in six goals in three, in three games. After I call them useless. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, get, let's get to, to Shawnee's yeah. segment. Uh, moving on, uh, Andrew Saunders asked for your thoughts on the Newcastle-Everton match this weekend. Well, refs, we haven't talked about refs uh, in the show, yeah. have we? Um, another shocker <laughs> for the referees and the officials. We did the game. Uh, Marco Silva, uh, you know, I, I think he, had a, he was right to call out the, the, the goal in question where it was clearly offside, Solomon Rondon, and a number of his teammates were offside. We can talk about that if we want, or we can talk about the fact that the underbelly of Everton is really genuinely concerning. Yeah. Up 2-0 and dominating through 45 minutes at St. James's Park, playing a team that doesn't score goals or very rarely score a goal, second in the prim- uh, last in the Premier League uh, last, uh, last weekend before Huddersfield, uh, the only team below them in goal scored playing against a team that hadn't come back since 2003 to win a game in the Premier League by two goals down. And then they go and perform like that in the second half. And I thought the body language when they conceded the goal to allow them to get back into it at 2-1 signified to me that Everton have got some very good individual players, as we said on the TV, uh, but but collectively massive, massive problems. Yeah, no strength, no leadership within that that team. And it's, it's really worrying because when you look at the goals that they conceded, they were just awful. That first goal that was really important from Rondon was just terrible defensively. And they're coming off the back of a, a really good uh, defensive performance against Liverpool. And so, again, there's issues through consistency, problems there with Everton. They just, you don't know what you're going to get. You wake up every day, you're an Everton fan, a Saturday morning, 
don't know what team's going to turn up today and that's a horrible place to be in and I'm sure it's causing... You've got some 9 out of 10s and 4 out of 3 yeah, out of 10s. Exactly. That's your point. It's back to that point, KJ. you rather that consistency and a guy you know is going to give you 6 or 7 and you can potentially replace with another guy that's going to give you 8 every single game. That's what you build your team on. You have that, that base there of players that you know what you're going to get and don't know what I'm going to get from Everton at the moment. At one minute, it's really great. It looks brilliant. Like the first half, tremendous performance everywhere. Attacking players, Andre Gomez was in the middle of a part. It looked great. Idrissa Ganagay could go on and on with Charleston, the movement there between him and Bernard. Dinia on the left yeah. side. It was brilliant. And the Newcastle had no answers. And in the second half, Newcastle just up to pace, asked them some questions, went, you know, a little bit more direct and all of a sudden Everton just crumbled. And in fairness, the the, the last goal from Perez, who I thought was terrific, Almiron's revitalised that guy. He's, he, he's brought a real quality to his game that we've not really seen uh, consistently in his Newcastle career and he needs to keep that up if he's going to, you know, really get to the next level. But he was offside and I think we, we sort of focused on that post-game and we didn't, and maybe the linesman did as well, the assistant referee. But clearly, Rondon, amongst others, was half a yard offside in the centre area as well. So, you know, when things are going bad for you, they normally go really bad. And yeah. Marco Silva was quick to pick up on that. But if I'm him, when I get home, yeah, I'm going to say that in front of the press. But I'm, I'm really thinking about the concerns I have with my players. Yeah, quickly, the other big problem they've got, and I'd like to flip this around. You guys ask us a lot of questions. I want to ask you a question, and, and then maybe we'll get to this again next week. So use um, hashtag AskAFP to answer my question. I want you to tell me your top 10 goalkeepers in the Premier League. Tell me oh. your top 10 goalkeepers in the Premier League, and maybe we'll get to this in a future a show. Because I think um, one of the big problems for Everton is the fact that their goalkeeper is nowhere near that. Yeah. Can, if we had more time right now, Stevie and I could name 10 goalkeepers in the Premier League far better than Pickford. But yeah. I want you guys to name them. Give us your order. Uh, top 10 goalies in the Premier League. James asks, given that Celtic's poised to win the Scottish Premier League, uh, do you see Celtic the Celtic board giving Neil Lennon a full-time job next season? Or is he a caretaker? Oh, another caretaker question. <laughs> um, what do you think Neil's getting away with well, right now as a supply teacher? He's he probably just feeling just happy as, days, as, as happy as Ranieri. Oh, you know, he gets yeah. sacked at him. He's, he's lighting a hammock as well. And all of a sudden he, he pops up at Celtic because of what happens with Brendan Rodgers. So he's, I mean, Celtic's clearly his dream job and, and it always will be. this, is he? <sighs> You know what? I actually think it's 50-50. Do you? I do because I don't know who else they're going to get. Right. I don't see them going getting, you know, an exciting uh, European manager. They're not getting Josie, are they? (laughs) No, they're not getting Josie, but the history tells you Celtic managers are normally better when they know uh, Celtic Football Club. Yeah. You know? And so that puts him high up there right away. And so I think who else is is, is in that position, KJ? Point, yeah. Do they do they go bold and they would have did it with a caretaker if they're going to give it to John Kennedy, an ex player who's who's coaching there and a teammate of mine with Scotland got a really bad injury at quite a young age and good centre half, a promising young coach, but he would have got it before Lennon if he was yep. in the running. So I don't know where they go. The the disaster where I forget his name, the, the Norwegian guy that, that I was came thinking in. About him, yeah. yeah. You know, that I doesn't do. work for Celtic, Sean. That's always an issue with Celtic. And so they feel they need to give it to someone that at least understands the dynamics that go on in Glasgow and understands Celtic Football Club. And and I'm not sure if there's anybody there's certainly nobody jumping out to me at the moment that springs out. So if Lennon wins the treble, I think he probably gets it. Yeah, you know what? Um you now you mentioned it. I I'm I'm there's not really a lot of options. 
No. <laughs> you know, there really isn't a lot of options. But no. uh, you talk about the, the Norwegian boss, Ronnie Dalio, was, That's a, it, was, yeah. it was just a disaster in the European game. Again, you get judged how you do in Europe a lot of the time. And yeah. I know Rogers domestically has been brilliant, but, um, you know, and the English manager job with Rogers, he kind of was a lot better than Tony Mowbray. But at the end of the day, like, did they go back to the England again? I'm not quite if they do. Evan asks, who are your Champions League and Europa League winners? Oh, wow. I picked Atletico Madrid to win the Champions League in my Champions League preview show that I did for Sirius. I like your shout, KG. Um, they're looking strong. And they play at home. In this, and I just think that maybe it's just... I mean, meant to be? Maybe. I'm, no, I'm just being a bit of a romantic. I think. <laughs> Nothing's meant to be, is it, in sport, really? No, but it's but funny like, when, you get era, that, when you feel like it yeah. is. You get that extra little few percent from a team as good as Atletico yes, Madrid. I, the, I, just, I just look at the era and, and I just feel like they deserve one. You know, they certainly deserve yeah. one when they beat when they lost to Real Madrid twice. But I just feel like they deserve it, and I'm not sure if that if they're going to get it. But it's wide open, so that's I, I'll, I'll stick with that at that pick right now. What about you? Yeah, I I like your pick, KJ, and I wasn't on them at the start. I wasn't anywhere near it, and I just think things are falling into place for them. And if they get through Juventus after that tremendous first leg win, they're going to have some confidence. I want to see Manchester City play Barcelona at some point of this. I'd that'd like it immense. to be in two legs. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so, you know, I feel like if it comes in the quarters or the semi, whoever wins that, and I I don't know who's going to win it, it's literally a toss of a coin. It'll be decided by, you know, a few big moments. And uh, whoever wins that is going to be very, very confident in, in the favourites, in my opinion. But... I would like to see Atletico Madrid get a win. Simeone would be, oh, how long would he celebrate that? It'd be unbelievable, <laughs> wouldn't it? And Europa League? What do you want to think about the Europa League? Oh. Uh, I, I, I feel like Napoli could win it. Yeah. They could win it. But then there's a lot of teams like that that I'm not sure whether they've really got enough to just get it over the hump. Like Napoli, they've got some deficiencies, big games sometimes. Yeah. Chelsea, not quite sure about them. Uh, Sevilla thumped team in La Liga again today. I can't remember yeah, they're playing. Five, two or five, was yeah, it? but they they uh, they conceded two goals to Prague in the first leg. Into Milan, I'm not sure whether they're good enough to try and win the whole thing. Yeah, so it's uh, I don't know. I Real always... got a big win at, in, in Saint Petersburg. They yeah. they're up three one after the first leg. So yeah, it's, it's that's pretty open as well. I mean, we talked a couple of shows ago about the desperation of of maybe Arsenal or Chelsea, mm. and it seems like it might be Chelsea. So I. Maybe make them favourites, but then we just yeah. said that we don't know what Chelsea's going to wake up in the morning. So it's hard to say they're going to get through a Europa League uh, campaign that, that just gets stronger and stronger as we get closer to the final. There's some decent teams in it. So it's a hard one to go for that, but maybe I'll just put for Chelsea. Nathan asks, what moves does PSG have to do to win the Champions League? Oh my goodness. What moves does PSG have to do to win the Champions League? There's a lot of things they need to do now. They have to get rid of a number of players and they yeah. have to let Thomas Tuchel build a team so, and the personality he wants. They're acquiring too many players in such a random way. Right. You know, and, and no disrespect, a lot of them are fantastic players, but I don't see, you know, a kind of, a, a, a sort of personality of the, the squad as they as they bring in these guys. Yeah, I just see random guys coming from all over Europe and just kind of putting them in because they're quality and they play some games and you know they have a big squad, so guys are in and out in certain areas. And I don't love that. I think that they need to regroup in the summer clearly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that it should be Thomas Tuchel's team. I, there's a lot I like about him. I would get rid of Thiago Silva. <laughs> I'd agree. get rid of Verratti. 
Would you? Yep. Rabio's going to go. Yeah, he's gone anyway. And I'd probably get rid of Neymar. Right. What an outrageous thing to say. But I just think that this is more about the personality and the, the, the kind of work rate and togetherness of this team at the moment. And, and Neymar just causes too many problems. Mm. And he'd he probably want to go anyway. So, you know, you're, you're going to have a player that half wants to be there. Just get rid of them. Show that nobody's above the club and the team. They've built such amazing excitement around the brand of PSG. Now it's about showing people we're here to win. We are true winners. To do that, they're going to have to bring in true winners. And so that to me is uh, is going to be crucial. Koulibaly, I think, might end up there. Right. Yeah. Stop signing players that you want to put, put on a billboard and put ones on the field that might win exactly. you matches. Like, go get Mateus Delict for 25, for, for, you know, what, how much money. What, Good shout. Yeah, go, go, go get him and play him in the defence for 15 years, you know. Like, yeah. Might be a good idea to do that. By the way, they're, they're basically like the Washington Nationals of the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, keep signing all these great players and just have these massive issues every time they get to big games. So oh, yeah. interesting to watch. But yeah, and the Champions League draw, by the way, we'll get to that next, in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be fun as well in the quarters. DJS, obviously MLS teams, scouting networks have monetary limits. Uh, what extent do regional agents agencies have in MLS and how do non-North American players get to Major League Soccer? It's a great question. That's um, a great question. A really great question. I wish we had more time to answer it. In fact, we could maybe talk about this in one of the quieter we days should. and get an agent on at some point. Um, let's go through his question here. They do have money limits, although it's extended a lot more than it used to be. The scouting limits yep. are a lot more there than they used to spend. What extent or role influence do regional agents um, agencies have in MLS? I think a very strong one. And, um, you know, a lot of the times that also comes down to just teams relying on them to scout as well. You know, yeah. they, 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 they lean on agents a lot. And sometimes if it works, they keep going back until it really doesn't. So... How do North, non North American players get to MLS? Well, that's your answer. That's agents. Yeah, it's through relationships with individual agents that, that uh, general managers and heads of recruitment have mm. in certain areas of the world. And to me, that's just a bit too random. I don't love that. I mean, you know, I, you're an agent, KJ. I call you up. Mm. You're going to send me your three or four players that you want to push on to, to get somewhere. And so. How does that make sense? You know, how's that department? Mm. It's about, you know, having a, an idea of a region. Now, it takes a lot of money to have an idea in every region of the world. South America, even Central America is coming into fruition Good now time, with yeah. some of the players. We, we saw Independiente with three or four players that I'd love to see in MLS. And then you have Europe, you have Asia. So it's impossible to have a scouting department in every area. But... If you're going to an individual agent, then you're basically getting his opinion. He's giving you his players or or someone that benefits him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got to come up with a system and a department that is capable of, of selecting an area of the world and doing some real due diligence in the players within that region. So, you know, I, I take Atlanta for an example. They've clearly targeted uh, veteran MLS players in the first two years and exciting um, you know, d development players from South America that have are costing a little bit of money, but have huge upside if they do well. Almiron in question, yeah. Barco less so, but the same uh, objective was yeah. to bring in this guy who was really exciting and, and try and play him for a few years and then move him on and have the next one ready. And I like that because they've went, okay, that's, that's the model. They've got a clear model. Whereas other teams, and we don't need to say who they are, are a bit like PSG in their own little MLS uh, kingdom. They're just too random. 
They don't know what they're trying to do. There's no clear identity to the area, the world that they're trying to select and trying to put these players together. And I think that makes it really hit or miss. And uh, with the money getting a little bit better through targeted allocation money, it means that you can get some quite costly misses as well. It can. And I'm glad you brought that up quickly because I think this is a really, really important time for Major League Soccer. It is clearly in growth mode. And it is at a time now where players are desperate to play there. And I use that word desperate for a reason, speaking to many people, that, that particularly South Americans. South Americans are now seeing it as a destination to go to MLS, to go on be, be above and beyond, and maybe even to Europe, a pathway to Europe, because they're seeing that Europe now recognizes MLS and they respect it a little bit more as a pathway to though they're, they're getting the opportunity to get more money than they do in South America. The lifestyle they feel like is better. And so when you've got more and more people calling you and wanting you, then you should make sure that you've got the more you you make sure you've got the better choice, not just take whoever yeah. calls you. And that's it is actually easier now than it ever been to make bigger mistakes. So you better get it right. Last questions, last questions. Uh, Lucas Pincari asks. Uh, KJ, who's your pick for IndyCar in 2019? Ah, oh, Lucas, I love you, mate. Uh, I watched the first race today uh, from St. Petersburg. Joseph Newgarden of Penske won the Did first he? race. I yeah, know Newgarden. Yeah, big big win for Joseph. Um, great to have it back. Uh, I'll take Alexander Rossi to win the title in 2019. But as usual, the wonderful series of IndyCar, very competitive with uh, six or seven or eight racers who can really win the championship and 10 to 15 who can win every week. I want my favourite, Shawnee, before we go on, Scott Dixon. Dick Dixon. He's my man, isn't he? He is KG. your man. He's won it five times. I watched two races a year. Well, Never defended probably really it. one race a year. The Indy 500. Yeah. And he was in that bad crash. He was. And he walked away like, honestly, it was like he had just, you know, dented the, the, the front bumper of his car. You should have seen this crash. This guy is amazing. He's, he's unbelievable. His focus, his dedication, his quality to driving. Come on, Dixon. By the way, he got out of the car today. It was two hours, 30 minutes of a race and street circuit. They haven't raced, They haven't had a race for five and a half months. And his water bottle broke and he had no water. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And this guy is like, this guy does like triathlons yeah. and he was toast wow. at the end of it. So yeah. Shows you how physical yeah. it is. Oh yeah, really does. Last question. This one's for Stevie. Uh, when you're battling for automatic promotion slash a spot in the three to six range for the championship playoff, what is the biggest key for a team during the final months? Togetherness, team spirit, teamwork, everything that you've built over the, the first three or five months comes really into focus because you get tired and you, you, you need a certain way of playing and an identity to your team that comes through the spirit that you build and then you just rely on each other and you look in that changing room at five to three and you see faces that you're you're confident you know what you're going to get this has been a theme through this entire mm. show you look at guys you're like I know what this guy's going to give me and I've did it twice I've been lucky enough I've been unlucky with Birmingham so I've been there three times to the playoffs and uh, every time I had that, certainly in the two winning ones when we, we won the league with uh, Sunderland and then the playoff final with Burnley, guys that I trusted, guys that I knew what I was going to get and a real team togetherness. Great stuff. Thanks, Sean. As usual, and as, and again, a reminder, your questions are always fantastic. We always appreciate coming, seeing them come in all week. Hashtag Ask AFP and also give us those top 10 goalies in the Premier League and we're going to get to that at some point. Also, we're a reminder, please rate and review. We really enjoy all the comments you get, but please rate and review and tell people what you think of the podcast. Next week, again, another, another busy week to come. Next week, I think we're recording it following Toronto FC's uh, home opener on Sunday night. So a late one for us, but important to do that and a big game against uh, New England. Same struggling, so that should yeah, be Yeah, they are struggling a little bit. It's going to be a good one down at Mimo Field, so... 
remember and uh, download after and it'll be a good episode as usual cover all the leagues and we'll finish off on Sunday night at BMO Field cheers for listening and we'll speak to you next week